0: welcome 2022 and i am glad that you're here it's a privilege to have you here on our first sunday in 2022 i am really excited and i hope you are to see what god has planned for sardis baptist church this year amen we have seen so many things happen and and ministries open up i mean even through covid and stuff like that uh, sardis was an active a really active church and that that was just a blessing. And uh, I would pray that this morning that each of us on this first Sunday uh, in 2022 would leave here different than what we were when we came in because of the worship, because of what we've learned in God's Word. And uh, so let's begin this new year in prayer. Father God, we bow before you. We ask that you would direct our hearts and minds to your Word right now. We've had some uh, uh, wonderful time to worship uh, in music, and we ask that, uh, and we are waiting for that again later Uh, but we ask right now lord that our hearts would be open to what you would tell us in your word i pray that you would give me the words to speak uh, that you would help me to be clear and lord god more than anything i pray that your name would be glorified on this first sunday in 2022 in christ's name amen all right looking forward to 2022 we need to look back at 2021 for just a minute. Uh, we ended 2021 looking at who the babe in the manger really was. Pastor Adam did the Advent uh, season, and he uh, helped us understand that the babe in the manger, okay, uh, was the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, and the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, the babe in the manger was pre- the predicted Messiah. Jesus Christ, the one and only person who can save mankind from their sin. All those sermons are on our new podcast, Sardis Sermons, that are on all the major podcasting sites. You can look that up. Those Advent sermons dovetailed perfectly uh, with our series in Acts because they help us to further understand the privilege we have of being the witnesses for Jesus Christ. All those sermons, everything in the Advent season, all those things that we learn about Jesus Christ help us understand the privilege we have of being witnesses for Jesus Christ. Amen? It's a privilege for us to be that. What an honor it is to tell everybody, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a privilege. Amen? Every time we have a chance to tell somebody about who Jesus Christ is, we have a chance to tell them that He is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. This morning we're going to continue our Acts as we uh, learn what it means to be a witness for Christ as a church and as individuals. What does that look like? And we're going to, uh, we're going to refresh our minds really quick because it's been a number of weeks since we've been in Acts we're just going to take a really short review here. The book of Acts of, uh, that we've seen was written by Luke and is a historical record of the birth and first years of the church. We are studying Acts. There's a purpose behind it. We are studying Acts because it will help us as Sardis Baptist Church, as individual members of Sardis Baptist Church, okay, to grasp what God had in mind for His church. Sardis is not our church. Sardis Baptist Church... The members of Sardis Baptist Church belong to Christ's church. It is His body, and therefore we need to look and act and be what He designed us to be, not what anybody else or the world tells us to be. That's why we're studying Acts. In the first chapters, we found that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every Christ follower is the spiritual power behind the church. We also saw that the price mission that god has given the church was to be witnesses and that is the theme verse which we are familiar with we've gone over uh many many times but you will receive you uh, is being talked to the um disciples at this point in time power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and all judea and samaria and to the uh, end of the earth That's our mission, to be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea. That was given from Christ to His apostles and passed on from His apostles to us. That is our mission. Nothing else should supersede that that goes on in this church. Over the next number of chapters in Acts, we walked with the apostles in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, as the church grew from 120 to thousands as they obeyed God's command to be His witnesses. We saw how God revealed that salvation through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, was open to, more, to anyone who would believe. Salvation was not limited to just the Jews. It was open to Samaritans and even the Gentiles. We also gained a better understanding of what the gospel is and insight into how to help people understand the gospel as we watched uh, Peter and, and Stephen's preaching. And even now as we have begun to see some of Paul's teaching, we understand what the gospel is and how to present it. And that brings us where we are going to at least start this morning, okay, uh, to what is normally called the first missionary journey, and that would be in Acts chapter 13, and you can turn there if you want to in the Pew Bible, the Red Bible in front of you, uh, Acts chapter 13, it's on page 1,172. We've already gone over this, but this we need to just, uh, as part of our review, understand that uh, Acts is. Chapters 13 and 14 are all one piece because they, they cover the, mission, the first missionary journey, all right? And uh, Paul and Barnabas, that we find in Acts 13, are the main pastors at a church in Antioch. Antioch was the first church that was truly cosmopolitan in nature. The leadership consisted of Jews and Gentiles, and it was a very pagan city, Gentile city. It was the first church that didn't revolve around Jewishness. Antioch was the first church that really began to look like the church that God had planned. Uh, the, and, that, and the church that God had planned, we, we see in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That was God's plan from the beginning. It was birthed in Judaism. It was birthed in the Jewish nation. But it was always the intent of God to what? To include everybody. We also see that same thing in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one. All one in salvation is what that's referring to in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's what this... Church in Antioch was the first one out of all of church history to actually begin to look like the church that Christ had planted to be. And in verse chapter in chapter thirteen, verse two, we see that God called Paul and Barnabas of his this very healthy, growing, vibrant church. He took their pastors away. We talked about that to be the uh, to to begin. Uh, the last part of that mission that we saw already, that last part that we've already seen him in Jerusalem, we've seen him in Judea and Samaria, and what's the last part? To the ends of the earth. And that's where Antioch was. Antioch, uh, the church of Antioch was the beachhead where the, reaching the ends of the earth was going to be launched from. And it was a, it was a, a, a growing and vibrant church. And God said, I'm taking the two best pastors you have. And we're going to open up this last part of my command to be witnesses. So they leave, as we see this in Acts uh, in chapter 13, verses 5 through 12. And they preach the gospel in the island of Cyprus and then travel to another, name, another city named Antioch. There were actually four of those cities. It was here that we begin to notice that Paul enters a new place in ministry. Uh, he, he enters a new pattern of ministry. Uh, And we see that. Take a look at chapter 13, uh, uh, starting in verse 13. And we're not going to read it all, but uh, look at verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. This was going to become Paul's normal (coughs) uh, activity or normal way of... Opening a new city. Uh, if there was a synagogue there, he would go into the synagogue. And it wasn't long before, uh, as they as Paul started doing this, uh, that another pattern emerged. As Paul and Barnabas went from place to place, place preaching salvation. Okay, for that salvation only came from Jesus Christ. Salvation from our sin only came through Jesus Christ. We always begin to see uh, in chapter. 13, and also in 14 here, okay, that it had great impact on the people. That's a big amen. When the gospel is preached, it impacts the people. Look at chapter 13, verse 42. Chapter 13, verse 42. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, and many, Jew, up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. They wanted to hear more. And then drop down to verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. It had great impact. And then turn, look at verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Amen? Whenever the gospel was preached, we see this pattern. Uh, their preaching had great impact. But there is also a second part of this pattern. An impact in a city usually, almost always, brought persecution. Look at chapter 13, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Jump over to verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of the high standing and the leading men of the city and stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Gospel of Jesus Christ is preached. It's going to have an impact. People are going to be saved, but we also understand that almost all the time when that happens, there's going to be some type of persecution. There's going to be some type of dissension and division. And we'll see this pattern continue throughout the rest of Acts. And now we are at where we left off. Today's uh, passage uh, is going going to be all of chapter 14. And as we have been doing throughout our series in Acts, we want to get a proper context of our passage. We want to uh, quickly walk through it. And so please turn with me to Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at the first seven verses initially. Um, Acts chapter 14. Starting in verse one. Now again, they had just been kicked out uh, of uh, where they were ministering. Okay, they dust off their feet, and they're going to go to Iconium. Verse chapter fourteen, verse one. Now to Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Jews and Gentiles with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra uh, and Derbe, cities of Lycania, and to the surrounding county. And And there they continued to preach the gospel. And so what we have here is we start uh, with a ministry in Iconium. So they they have entered Iconium now. Uh, Iconium was a prosperous agricultural city, but it was far away. It was actually out in the boonies, as we would call it, okay? Uh, Far away enough from Rome. There's no Roman garrison there. And therefore, it kept much of its Greek heritage. Rome did conquer that area. It did belong to Rome, but there wasn't as, as much of a Roman influence uh, there. So they were able to keep uh, their Greek heritage, and the, the town or the city was governed by a council of, uh, of, Greek, of Greek citizens. And though, uh, notice that in verse 1 of chapter 14, okay, they entered where? What was Paul's pattern? They entered the synagogue. And we need to ask the question, Paul, did, did Paul already understand that he was not going to be well accepted in the synagogue? I mean, was that common knowledge to Paul? So why did he always want to go to the synagogue first? Well, because Paul was very wise that he understood <clears throat> that if he started preaching in the streets, the gospel of Jesus Christ, he would never be allowed into the synagogue he would never be allowed in. And so he always started in a synagogue. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. People heard the gospel. People were saved. But then what usually happened? <laughs> he was out of the synagogue. All right, so Paul always started. There was a wisdom in his choice. There was a practical. I want to reach the people, my people, the people who would be uh, more Jewish uh, in, in their thought process. And so I'm going to start at the synagogue. And so it um, as we look at that uh, we understand that uh, uh, many people, according to verse uh, fourteen chapter chapter fourteen verse one, that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. okay, and then we see. In verses two and four through throw four and five, that not only did a lot of people accept Jesus Christ, but a lot of them uh, rejected what Paul gave, uh, said. Look at verse two. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned the minds against the brothers. That idea of poisoned—they intentionally tried to uh, hinder the gospel. When will you poison somebody? When there's this, this act of poisoning, what are you trying to do? to person? Kill them or hurt them? These people were, were making a conscious choice to hinder Paul and his message. Drop down to verse, chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, chapter 4, excuse me, verses 4 and 5. But the people of the city were divided. Uh, his message went out to such a great extent that it wasn't just the uh, people in the synagogue that were divided, it was the whole entire city that was divided. There were two camps some that believed Paul and some that believed the Jewish leaders. The whole city was divided. And look at verse 3, so they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In verse 3, we see that even the gospel witness, even though it divided uh, the whole city, Paul and Barnabas boldly kept sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we need to take something home from that. How many of us, when we're persecuted or cause division, do we back off and and, and say, well, we'll give you some time to rest? Paul just stayed there. Paul said, we're, we're going to talk about this. We're going, to, we're going to review this. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ. And then in verses 5 through 7, we find that they were chased out. And when a temple was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycania. And so we need to uh, uh, ask the question here, why did they flee to Lystra in this, in this new province? Why did they flee there? Uh, because Luke records it was in the region of Lycania. And in other words, they fled to another jurisdiction. The people who wanted to kill them, okay, in Iconium, could not pursue them into the other province. They had no legal jurisdiction. And so that's why uh, Paul and them uh, went to Lystra and Derby because it was in a different province as they fled and knowing that nobody could follow them. Now we have to ask another question, okay? Or we have to realize something. There are certain places in your Bible that you just need to circle and just uh, understand that there's some neat historical content behind it. So for all history buffs here, okay, this is one of those times for you, all right? And if you're not interested in his, in history, don't go to sleep. We'll come back to the rest of it later, all right? But the, this is one of those passages you need to circle because uh, there are certain portions of, uh, portions of Scripture that have been used for years to show that the Bible is inaccurate Okay? And, be, and if the Bible's inaccurate, then we can't believe everything that it says. And they're saying that uh, in this context, what they were saying is uh, scholars were saying that uh, Luke got it wrong. Luke't Luke, uh, uh, Lystra and Derby were not in the other province because they have court records, they have uh, Roman records that show that the uh, boundary line, okay, for, uh, Ly- uh, Lyconia okay, was drop below Lystra and Derby. And so they didn't flee there to, to escape to a different jurisdiction. All right. But uh, there was a man named Sir William Ramsey, who was a liberal scholar in the 1800s. And uh, he was sure that Luke was a sloppy historian. So he uh, went to Turkey, which was a very difficult trip during that time. And he actually uh, traced out all the various missionary journeys of Paul to prove where he was wrong. And this was one of the places that he was going to prove that he was wrong because the boundary lines didn't match up to where the Bible said. All right? And so he traveled to Turkey to prove that uh, other places, including chapter 14 of Acts, was wrong. However, he discovered that all the other previous historians were wrong. He discovered that Lystra and Derbe were actually located in the province province of Lycania when Luke wrote Acts. Think about this. This is what he found. What makes this so interesting is that those two towns were only located in that province from the years AD 32 to AD 72. They were located in the province of Galatia before that. They were located in the province of Galatia after that. But only during those years, which is where Luke wrote Acts, during the time that Luke wrote Acts, they were actually exactly where Luke said they were. Amen. That, those types of things you go, well, who cares? Those things are really cool because it just helps us understand that our Bible is accurate. And uh, Sir William Ramsey uh, came to the conclusion that Luke is the most uh, um, accurate historian that has ever lived. And he traced it all the way through, all the, all the uh, places that Paul went on his missionary journeys. And so uh, we have this, I, we have that, that they were went down, and uh, they were chased into Lystra and Derbe. Um, now, let's look at verses 8 through 23. Verses 8 through 23. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, and upright on your feet, and he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw that what Paul had done, uh, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycanian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought an, uh, oxen and garlands to their gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowds, crying out, Verse 18, and even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering a sacrifice to them. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, had had made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium, and then to Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them continually in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayers and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That is recording the ministry, those verses in Lystra and uh, Derby. Uh, In verses 8 through 10, uh, does it sound a little familiar? Alistair, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Have we heard that before in Acts? You see, Peter, this is almost exactly word for word how Peter, in Acts chapter 3, healed the lame man from birth in Jerusalem. This This is almost word for word. Many believe that this miracle helped solidify Paul's apostolic ministry since he was able to heal in the exact same way that Peter was. You see, Paul. Many people didn't believe that Paul was an apostle. Many uh, felt that he was taking uh, uh, license when he called himself an apostle to the Gentiles. And throughout his ministry and throughout his writings, you will see where Paul continually defends his apostleship. And many believe that this is part of what Luke wanted to do to show that Peter healed, uh, that Paul healed in the same way that Peter did we need to ask uh, why in verses 11 through 15. Okay, the, why did the crowds react in this manner? Look at verses 11 through 15. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, uh, saying in Lycanian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes. Why did the crowds react like that? I mean, why, why would even Luke record this? We need to understand that when we see something, we go, why? We need to maybe do a little bit of research because it kind of opens up the passage for us and what we need to understand is uh in that uh day and age there was a poet named ovid all right and he collected mythological stories and one of those stories that he recorded came from this area of lystra and derby according to ovid's story the greek gods zeus and hermes does that sound familiar because who did they call paul and barnabas Zeus and Hermes, uh, had once visited the the valley uh, where Lystra was located, and they went door to door and asked 1,000 people for shelter, but 1,000 people refused to take them in. Finally, they came to a poor uh, house occupied by a man named uh, Philemon and his wife uh, Bacchus, and these elderly people took Zeus and Hermes uh, in and fed them, so they stayed the night and in the morning, the gods took the couple up out of the city to a mountain. And when uh, this elderly couple turned around and looked back into the valley, they saw that the gods had flooded it and killed everybody in the valley. And this is, and, and to reward uh, Philemon and Bacchus, they made their home a temple. And when Bacchus and um, uh, uh, Philemon died, one was an oak tree, and I forget what the other tree was, and they uh, had eternal life uh, through being uh, trees because of their kindness to Zeus and Hermes the story this story would have been common knowledge in Lystra and so when Paul and Barnabas performed this miracle the people thought that Zeus and Hermes had come back again and they were not about to ignore them again they were going to make sure that they made sacrifices to them that they pleased them okay and that's why they reacted in this way they understood what the, 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 the story that Ovid had recorded, the mythological story, and they were not about to make sure that their families, they were going to make sure that their families were safe and that they worshiped Zeus and Hermes. So they were intent on worshiping Paul and Barnabas because they didn't want to be destroyed as their forefathers had been. And then we see in verses 15 through 17, look at 15 of chapter 14. Verses 15 through 17 Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men, uh, are also, also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made he- the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And as we see through verse 17, okay, he is giving witness to Jesus Christ to a pagan audience. You see, this pagan audience would not have understood the gospel if they had presented it like they did back in 13 and in the synagogue. So Paul presented the gospel in a way that they could understand. Instead of proclaiming the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the Scriptures, he proclaimed the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that was in them, because they were familiar with God's. Paul appealed to the universal rational knowledge of the Creator, the first cause in a cause-and-effect world. He did not witness to the same, in the same way to these pagan people as he did to the people who were in the synagogues. It doesn't seem that Paul was able to finish his sermon. There's a question on that. It's because it, they scarcely restrained him. There was, a, there was a hard work that Paul and Barnes were telling him, do not sacrifice to us. We're like you. We are not gods. And as Paul started, it seems like it kind of abruptly ends. And what a lot of the commentators and scholars think is that Paul never got a chance to finish his sermon, but he did get to give the kernel of the gospel. And then... We see in verses 14, chapter 14, verses 24 through 48, all right, uh, verses 24 through 48. And then they passed through uh, Pisidia and came to, uh, they were uh, stoned and they had to leave. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to uh, Adaliah. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. And what we see here is the last part of this uh, chapter is they gave a testimony in Antioch to what God had done. It was a testimony in Antioch. We need to understand something. We'll talk about this here in a minute, that part of our witnessing, part of, of who we are as witnesses, okay, is encouraging each other with the testimony of what God's doing in our lives and the lives of those that we witness to. Amen? Paul and Barnabas have been gone for, for a long while and they come back to the church that sent them and they go, let us report to you what God is doing. Do you think the church of Antioch, this pagan city that had lost these two pastors, okay, do you think that they welcomed them back in and they were excited to find out what was going on? Oh, man. And then they sat down, and I can't imagine how much time they spent just talking with Paul and Barnabas, saying, man, what happened? How did this happen? And what did you do here? And so we need to ask this whole missionary journey from Acts 13 all the way through 14, how does this missionary journey apply to us? How does this missionary journey apply to us? You see, we say, well, they were missionaries. What is that to us? We're not missionaries. Even though Paul and Barnabas were missionaries, sent out by the Antioch church, they were, they, uh, what they were called to do as missionaries, they were also called to do as Christ followers. You see, before Paul and Barnabas were missionaries, okay, they were pastors. And before they were pastors, they were disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, before they were called as apostles, they were called to be witnesses. All Christ followers are called to be witnesses in the life context God has placed them in. Let me say that again. All Christ followers are called to be witnesses in the life context that God has put them in. No one has a choice on the life context God places you in. How many of you here, okay, had a choice, if you think of the sovereignty of God, of where you were born all the way to the point in time that you have come up into this sitting here? Most of us can look back over our lives and see in God's direction in our lives exactly how we ended up here, amen? Every little detail that put us here. He has put all of our background, everything that we learned being raised, whether we had a good home or a bad home, whether we had good parents or bad parents, uh, whether we had a, a good high school to go to or whether we didn't or whether we went to college or whether we went into the trades, it doesn't make any difference. God says, in the context that I have placed you in your life, I expect you to be witnesses because that is what my people do as a church is to witness. Some are called to be witnesses as missionaries on foreign fields like Paul and Barnabas. Some are called to be witnesses as pastors. Some are called to be witnesses as stay-at-home moms or moms who have careers. Some are called to be witnesses while having great resources, riches. Some are called to be uh, witnesses barely having enough to eat day to day, living on less than $2 a day. No matter what our context is, God says, this is your mission for your life. No matter what life context you find yourself in, listen to what Peter says. In 1 Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen race. You are chosen. I'm chosen. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim what? The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been called to proclaim the excellencies. What does that mean? We are, come on, witnesses. We are witnesses. If we're going to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ, who moved us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are going to be His witnesses. So with all of this in mind, knowing that this applies to us, knowing that some of the principles and things that we see Paul and Barnabas doing as they were missionaries, we need to look at some of these things and apply them to our lives so that we can learn how to be better witnesses in our life context. And so what we're going to look at now is practical insights, for obedient witnesses. Practical insight for obedient witnesses. First, boldness is required. How many of you like that? How many of you like that? Boldness is not an option. How many of you think that I don't like, that I don't want to be bold in my life context? How many of you here have a place or a person that you don't want to be bold in or around? Boldness is required. Look at what it says. Verse 3. Yes, okay. So they remained for a long time and doing what? Speaking boldly for the Lord. From the very beginning, as soon as they entered this mission mission in Iconium, they spoke boldly. And then look and go down to uh, verse 19. But the Jews from Antioch came in Lyconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. What did he do? They had just thrown him out of the city and stoned him. And what did he do? He got up and went where? How many of you would go back into the city and throw you out and stone you. Is that bold? Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question. For all you high schoolers, how afraid are you of the people around you, the students and the teachers, and they keep you from being bold for Christ? For those in elementary school, how many of you are bold for Christ? How many of us have family members that we will not approach because we're afraid of what they're going to say or how they're going to react to us? All of us have areas where we can be more bold, but we have to understand something. Boldness is a requirement all the way through the New Testament. In all of Paul's letters, in Peter's letters, in the Gospels, we see this idea of boldness. And when we... Our lives often we see are very, very tentative. We try to what? Slip it in. We slip the gospel in because we don't want to what? Offend. We don't, we don't want to look at them in the eye and say, I need to talk to you. Folks, if we want to have Christ or God work through us, if we want to have God work through us to see salvations, we're going to have to be bold. There's no way for us to not to, to be a witness and not be bold. And we need to also understand this. Okay, a gospel witness will bear fruit. Now, it seems to be a little bit quiet today. I hope it's not because of my preaching. But uh, how about an amen there? A gospel witness will bear fruit. Okay, think about that. A gospel witness will bear fruit. Look at, go back to chapter 13, verse 48. This is in his missionary journey. Chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to return uh, to eternal life believed. Uh, look at chapter 14, verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of uh, both Jews and Greeks believed. And then look at chapter uh, 14, verse 21. Chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Over and over we see, just in his first missionary journey, that the boldness that he brought to his ministry, the gospel witness, the clear gospel witness that he was boldly proclaiming, always bore fruit. Let me ask you, what fruit from the gospel witness that you have can you point to right now what fruit do you have from being a bold gospel witness in the last year in 2021 in 2020 in 2019 what fruit do you have because see we have to understand if the gospel witness will bear fruit and salvations will come, then we should do what in our lives? Expect what? Fruit from a gospel witness. Amen? And if there's no fruit, what do we have to at least consider? I am not being a bold gospel witness. We have to understand that. It doesn't mean that every time we witness, there's going to be fruit. It doesn't mean that every time that we meet somebody for lunch so that we can help them understand Christ better, that we're going to see fruit. But we're going to understand that over a year, over two years, over three years, over four years, there's going to be when we can point back to what? And see that God used me to bear fruit for His church at this point in time, I had the opportunity to minister and to witness. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I am the one that's going to lead them to Christ, but I know the influence that I had in my being a witness helped bring them, God used to bring them to Christ. Amen? The gospel witness will bear fruit. We also understand that a gospel witness will cause division. That's, two, that's one coin, two different sides. Take a look at chapter 13, verse 45. Chapter 13, verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. And not, they didn't just contradict him. What are the next words? Reviling him. When somebody reviles you, what does that mean? When somebody reviles you, does that make your day? Is it Is it kind or gentle? No, they're not just disagreeing with him. They're throwing him under the bus. They're reviling him. Look at uh, chapter 13, verse 50. But the Jews, inside of the devout women of the high standing and leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. Not only were they reviling him, but they drove him out via Persecution. We have to understand this is the other side of the coin. Over and over and over throughout the New Testament, we see that people who are bold witnesses for Jesus Christ see fruit. Amen? But we also see that every single one of them, what? Reaped division and persecution, and they were not well liked. Think about that. So what we have to understand here is if everybody likes me, if I can live my life and never have the gospel bring division and even some sort of, it might even be just be light persecution into my life, and I could do that for years and years and years and years, we have to understand something. Why is that when we understand that every time that somebody was a bold gospel witness in the New Testament, as we go through it, we see it over and over and over, they face persecution. They faced. they cause division. And we see Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ cause division? Did He? On His life here? Did Jesus Christ say that everybody who was going to uh, walk and follow Him would be what? Persecuted? Yes. Amen. But sometimes when we aren't being bold witnesses and we're not experiencing fruit, okay, this here is also an indicator that maybe I'm just not being bold enough. Maybe I'm not just, I'm not uh, uh, pursuing being a witness like I should, which is my major reason for breathing on this planet, is to be a witness for Him. Are there appropriate times and inappropriate times to be a witness for Christ? Yes. But that has nothing to do with boldness. If an employer is paying me a wage to work, and I'm using that time that he's paying me as a wage for work to be a witness for Jesus Christ where I'm not performing my work, Is that an inappropriate time for me to be a witness? Yes. But I can be a witness on work, by how I talk, how I act. I can be a witness on my own time and breaks and on lunch. Those are all appropriate times in the same setting, in the same context. There are inappropriate times. But there's also more than enough appropriate times for us to be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. Folks, when we walk out this door, that world out there is very, very dark, and there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions of people who are dying without the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They need our witness. They need to see Christ in us. And that is going to mean that we are not going to be well-liked all the time. It means that we're going to cause division. It means that we're going to have, per- have persecution on us. It doesn't mean we go out and look for it. It doesn't mean that we uh, uh, become uh, th- those who are almost like martyrs. And I, I want to be martyred. I want to have persecution to prove. That's not what, this is just day in, day out living as a Christ follower, being a bold witness for Jesus Christ. We won't have to work at being persecuted or causing division. It will come to our lives no matter what we do if we're being bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. We will see it. Every high schooler here will see it in their high school. Every elementary school student will see it in their school. Every teacher will see it in their workplace. Everybody will see it if we are bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. So the practical things that we can learn, boldness is required. Gospel witness will bear fruit. A gospel witness will cause division. And we also need to understand, we need to pay attention to our context. How many of you, I did, but I want to know if how many of you did it, ever carried around a gospel presentation in your wallet? How many? Come on, fess up. Or maybe on the fly leaf of your Bible. And any time you thought that somebody wanted to hear, or that you had a chance to do the gospel, what would you do? Okay, Romans 6.23. and And you would just, I mean... without any consideration for who you were talking to what the context was or anything like that this was my gospel presentation and you were going to get it no matter who you were no matter how old you were you were going to get the exact same thing is that what we saw paul doing if you go back to chapter 13 all right uh, look at chapter 13 starting in verse 16 chapter 13 starting in verse 16 So, Paul stood up. He's now in the synagogue. All right. So, Paul stood up and motioned with his hand, saying, Okay, they invited Paul to speak because he was a Pharisee. All right. And if we look at this, how long is his gospel presentation to the people who are in the synagogue? How long? How many verses? All the way down to 47. Was that an in depth gospel presentation? Yes, to those who were familiar with God who knew uh, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. But then turn over to chapter 14, which we just read, verse 15. Would, would the pagans that he was witnessing to have understand anything about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob or anything? Would those pagan uh, city members have understood anything about that? No, but Paul starts. With a very simple gospel presentation, which we've already looked at. Look at chapter 14, verse 15. They're getting ready to sacrifice to them as gods. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news. As soon as he says we bring you good news, what do we know is coming? The gospel. Do we have good news? If it is good news, why are we afraid to be bold? If it's really good news, why are we afraid to be bold? He says, I bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things, turn from what you believe, to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your heart with food and gladness. You know what he just did? He gave them a simplified form of the gospel of the true living God who provided for them even when they turned their backs on him. We need to pay attention to our context. We need to understand who we're talking to. Sometimes a gospel presentation will be just sitting at a table or something and, and we do something very simple. We'll give a testimony, tell how, what, who Christ is, and other times it'll be one of those two-hour things where you sit down over your kitchen table and people are asking questions and you're laying out the whole gospel. We need to pay attention to our context. We don't need to witness and be witnesses to a child in the same way that we are to an adult. We don't. And what we, this practical application is when, when we go out to, uh, to be witnesses for Him, we need to pay attention to our context and who we're talking to, and we need to pray that God would lead us into a right contextual presentation of the gospel. But we have to understand something. If you don't know what the gospel is, if you don't have a firm grasp on what the gospel is, then you won't be able to give either an in-depth or a simplified version of it. How many of you right now could sit across the table and give and be a witness for Jesus Christ, telling them about who Christ is and what he did and why he did it? It doesn't mean that you have to do every verse. That can come later. Just giving testimony of who Jesus Christ is. So we need to pay attention, and then also we need to encourage the church with testimony. We see all that in verses, chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. And they went back to Antioch, the church that sent them, and they encouraged the church with testimony. Do you know one of the, big, uh, the best ways to put get Sardis Baptist Church on fire for being bold witnesses? to start having people saved because of our bold witness and we bring it back to the church and we praise God for it. I saw how God worked in this situation. I had no idea that they were interested and God just opened the door and I stepped in. I wasn't sure where I was going to go with this, but I stepped in and they got saved. There was a young man named Kashka. He was a very aggressive young man. In fact, after he was saved, he came up to my wife one day and said, I rebuke you because he thought that she had sinned. And he came up and said, I rebuke you. We had a talk after that. But he was saved through a, a youth ministry. And I had had some time with him and we went through the gospel. I wasn't sure that how it took or whatever because he really kind of understood it. But then one day we heard that he got in trouble at, school, at the school. He was, had just graduated the year before. He got thrown off the school campus. I said, What's going on, Kashka? He goes, Well, I bought one of those big boxes of tracks. And he said that I went onto the high school campus and I started handing them out to everybody I could hand one out to, and they didn't like it. They kicked me off the campus. What did he want to be? A bold witness for Christ. He was a young new believer, not really completely understanding, but what was he driven to do? be a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Inappropriately so, yes, on the campus, was not allowed. But when we understand this, kashka was a source for Kathy and I to bring testimony to a lot of people on how God brought kashka into our lives and changed that young man's life, amen? And I can point to a number of other people that God has allowed Kathy and I in our marriage and through our our family to to bear fruit because of Jesus Christ, being witnesses for Jesus Christ. What kind of testimony can you give right now? What testimony can you give for the fruit that God has allowed you to bear because you're being a bold witness? Not necessarily just saying salvations, but testimony that I got to present the gospel to this person at work. Please pray for them because they haven't they haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet. Is that being a bold witness? Yeah. Being a bold witness doesn't mean they're always going to come to Christ. It just means getting the word of God, the, the word of Jesus Christ out. As we enter 2020, 2022, it is my hope and prayer that every Christ follower here this morning would see fruit because of their bold witness for Jesus Christ. I hope that we would have people lining up to give testimonies. But we must understand that fruit is most always accompanied by division and persecution and persecution and even though we don't look forward to that division of persecution we know that whatever we experience that whatever we experience it is worth it because Jesus Christ as this is right back to where we started Jesus Christ is worth it amen Jesus Christ is worth being a bold witness for it is is through it is only through him that anyone will ever find true peace hope and despair meaning in life and life eternal it doesn't mean our lives will be easy. doesn't mean all of our sins will go away. But it means that we have hope. Amen. I hope and pray that this morning, as we have looked at the first missionary journey, of Paul and Barnabas, that we have come away with some practical things that will help us become bold witnesses. Boldness is required. A gospel witness will bear fruit. A gospel witness will cause division. Pay attention to your context and encourage the church with testimony. Amen? Let's walk out. Let's live that. Let's be a, gold wit- a bold witness so that we can see fruit at Sardis Baptist Church. As Michelle comes up to play this, please just <clears throat> bow your heads just for a minute. Father God, we are your lights to the world. And Father, we be before you And we ask that you would help us to be bold witnesses for you. Help us through to remember what we learned in the Advent season, that your son is worth whatever we encounter because we are bold witnesses. Lord God, help us to see that you and your son are worth being called as your witnesses to tell everybody about you. Oh, Lord God, we don't deserve to be your witnesses. We don't deserve to be called your children. It's only by your grace and your mercy that we have the ability to be your witnesses. And Father, I pray that that would be the thing that we that is our heart's desire more than anything else. Father, help us to see that those, that the witness of Jesus Christ is the only thing that is eternal in nature. And Father, if there's anybody here this morning who has never really understood who Jesus Christ is, who's never really understood their need for a Savior, who's never really understood that their sin will bring your wrath Father I pray that you would open their hearts that you would uh, ignite the life uh, within them through the Holy Spirit that they would be able to see that you Lord God sent your son to die on the cross so that they could have salvation freedom from sin and eternal life father what we have to witness to about your son is the greatest news that has ever existed on this planet and lord god i pray that as a church body we would grow more and more in our desire to be bold witnesses no matter what that costs in our lives. Help us to be wise. Help us to be appropriate. But, Father, help us to not fear. Father, we pray that if there's somebody who has a family member here this morning who needs to be saved, who needs to Uh, understand who you are. I pray that you would give them boldness to talk to that family member, no matter what the consequence. I pray, Lord God, that you would give this church new Christians, infant Christians that we can disciple and raise for you. In Christ's name, amen.